This is Southern Tier Close-Up on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. White, and this is the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of the station. This is probably the longest distance Southern Tier Close-Up I think I have ever done. I am on the phone now with a baseball legend, Al Downing in California. Good morning. I know it's very early your time. Good morning, Kathy. No, it's not very early. It's a little after 8 a.m. I'm up around 6 in the morning. Well, I usually am in here at quarter of 3 in the morning, but we won't oh. get into that. I know, I know. Hey, um, I want to get into a little bit about your credentials for people who might have been living under a rock for the past few decades. Um, of course, a, a legend for Binghamton. You were a member of the Binghamton Triplets. You uh, played with the Yankees. We're talking, uh, let me see, 1961 starting your career, was it? That was my first season, uh, 1961. I came up with Binghamton. And actually, I, I had a Class A contract, which Binghamton was at the time. However, they were intending to send me down to, uh, I guess, Greensboro after 30 days because it was my first year in organized baseball. However, you know, the, you know, things worked out well. I pitched well those first 30 days, and next thing I knew, not only got a raise, I was uh, you know, ensconced there in Binghamton, which was a blessing in disguise, and uh, it really uh, propelled my uh, career. And you're in our little Hall of Fame and, and all that as well. But the thing is, we hear from you once a year, that's far too infrequently for us, but you usually are popping by our studios and gracing us with your presence to talk about the Jim Mudcat Grant All-Star Golf Tournament, which this year would be the 18th year of the tournament, and it is still going on. That's what people keep asking, is it still happening, and it is still on the schedule. Well, that's a really a congratulations to the people up at Security Mutual under the guidance of Mr. Boyer, because that, that's a tough, uh, tough tough road to take, you know, with, with all that's going on in this country. But they've done a wonderful job with this program, and I know Jim called me up, I guess it was after about the first two or three years, and said, hey, they remember you up here. Well, would you like to come up here? I said, sure. <laughs> and so I've been coming ever since because uh, that, that town was so, so kind to me and really helped me uh, as a young kid just starting out in baseball. And it's nice to see that the people who have been around that town have come back every year and try to add something to it to you know, bring it back to what it used to be or close to what it used to be or just help out as much as we possibly can. And, and I miss not only seeing the other people uh, from different walks of life, different fields who had gone to school up around there, who were coached up around there, who were administrators up there and worked in the different corporations, uh, you know, coming all together, you know, pitching in and seeing what what we can do, but also, like you say, uh, rehashing the past and talking about what it was like when we were coming through there. Well, you mentioned the the support you got as a a young man in in this area, and that is kind of the focus of the whole Jim Mudcat Grant All Star Golf Tournament. It benefits the Broome County Urban League, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Binghamton, Catholic Charities, the Community Hunger Outreach Warehouse, as we know as Chow, as well as a housing program for veterans, and it's it's something that. 
is very challenging now for these agencies, given the coronavirus, COVID-19. The tournament is still moving forward to do its best to raise funds for these organizations. And right now we have the the great support of the faithful sponsors that continues, but they also are asking for advertising in the tournament program or purchasing a fairway sign to help support these organizations and keep this great project and the dream of Mudcat Grant with this tournament going. And for people that are interested in that, they can find it all online at allstar-golf.com. Now, back to you, Mr. Downing. We are talking about Binghamton being such a big support for you, but as we look around what's going on in our world around us now, let's flash back to that era, 1961. I mean, is it deja vu all over again for you, seeing what's going on in the world? And how is the Black Lives Movement and the the call to end systemic racism possibly different today than it was when you were living history in the 1960s and 1970s? Well, I think back in the 50s, because it actually started in the 50s in Greensboro, uh, the sit-down at the counter with the young students there. And, and, and it's, it's ironic that it started with young students. And in those days... When you were a young person, you were taught to be seen and not heard. Right. And all of a sudden, these young kids going to uh, A&T College down in Greensboro uh, decided, well, we've been seen long enough. Now it's time to let them hear us. And uh, they wanted to know why things were the way they were. And uh, fortunately, they, they uh, can't say stood up. They sat down. And uh, basically, that got the ball rolling. Then you got the clergy from the southern black churches got involved. And that really helped out because it's a tremendous pipeline that's still active today. And uh, so, so those incidents have been, have been going on, and they became much more overt probably in the early 60s and in the mid-60s. But I think in the latter years, it was almost like, okay, well, you've, got, you've had your progress, and now it's a little more, you know, <laughs> under the rug. And most people have forgotten about it, but... A lot of those situations still exist, and that's what's being brought up today, I think. Well, one of the things that I found over the years when I've talked to Mr. Grant uh, is and really impressed me for all the things that he and you experienced back in those days where it was not clandestine racism. (laughs) I mean, it was right out there. But he, uh, I remember talking to him about how he talks to kids about you are handed what you're handed, but rising above that, and you are your own driving destiny. And I think that is such an inspirational message and something that maybe the people that are participating in these efforts to change the world today can also take in hand that they are the driving force of where this country is going in the future. Well, I think that's what they have in mind. That's why they step forward like that, because they've seen that in, in the past, oh, yes, you can give money to an, an organization or a few organizations and hope things uh, happen, but sometimes they get stalled somewhere along the way, and, uh, you know, people just give lip service to the to the situations. But, you, ha- you know, back in those days, uh, Jim grew up in the South, down in Florida. I grew up in, in New Jersey. So it was totally different cultures, and so he was basically living in the midst of segregation, whereas in New Jersey it was kind of like a, 
a, a clandestine segregation. It was there, but it was just like, you know, people didn't call it that or didn't uh, live it uh, like that all the time. But, but nevertheless, I think that what really was uh, one of the most uh, eye-opening situations was the first trip I took to the South in spring training with the Yankees uh, farm team in 61, the Binghamton team down in Bartow, Florida, that I couldn't stay in the hotel with the rest of my teammates. And the, that the segregation hit me right between the eyes, right? And thinking, well, well, I'm playing, you know, I'm representing the Major League Ball Club, and why is it I cannot stay in a hotel with the other ball players? And once you understand that that's part of the culture down there, uh, then you start talking to the local people who live down there, and, of course, their mantra always was, one day this shall change. And it's taken some time before, for it to get to <laughs> 60. I guess the 60 was the big wake-up. Call that mm. that that woke everybody up, and now it's back again. Where people are saying, "Okay, we waited long enough. Now it's time to move forward a little more." Do you think that that there is getting more support this time around from other ethnics, and you know, if you want to say mainstream, the the white population, there's more support from the 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 white majority to this particular effort than there was back in the 60s and 70s, as strong as that effort was, and a biracial support back then? Most definitely. And and and, and reasonably, reason that is so is because, remember, with the segregation, you kept the races apart. So people didn't know, even the players on our own team didn't know the circumstances we were encountering. Wow. Trying to get to the ballpark in the morning, just trying to find a cab to get to the ballpark in the morning or a cab to get to the ballpark to go home at night. Uh, they didn't know those situations we were going through, that we weren't uh, eating in the same restaurants, you know. We were living in different neighborhoods. Once they had the integration uh, hit big time here in the 60s and kids began to go to school together, now... All of a sudden, they started to understand one one another's culture, and and there's nothing better to erase this uh, this kind of uh, attitude than to have people get together, sit down, and talk it over over a meal or something, or you just get out and have a walk around and play volleyball or whatever you play. You know, now they play pickleball, I guess, at our age, and uh, do do something just to discuss the circumstances in one life that are going to make it better for our grandchildren. Another thing that's kind of bizarre this this time around is this whole COVID thing. We have the with what is going on with Major League Baseball now going into what was the season. There was this whole issue with the contract disputes between the managers and, and the players and whether there's going to be a season, whether there's not going to be a season. Now how to play in all these cases coming up. Who'd ever thought, I mean, if you had a crystal ball, you couldn't have seen this kind of, of baseball season ever in your lifetime, in your storied career for 17 years. That's, this is unheard of. It, it, how, do you, how would you deal with making decisions about playing baseball in a situation like a global pandemic? Well, I, I think the first thing you have to recognize is that this is bigger than baseball. Yeah, baseball, football, or basketball, and I think that the the gentlemen who lead those three major sports understand that. And now, how do you kind of get everybody on board to say that? Listen, our sport can sit down for a while, and then we have to deal this with this because remember, our families come first, really, and uh, 
So every person's family, no matter how large or how small it might be, they come first. Your community comes first. And it, it, you got to keep the community strong. We can't go out and play ball and say everything's okay as long as I'm playing and I'm getting paid, but my community's falling apart. And I think that those are the things the players are trying to make uh, apparent right now. And I don't think they're getting a lot of a re, uh, support out of some members of the media. Yeah. Because it's, it's like, well, because it's not that they're not getting support. I think some members of the media are just as confused as everyone else. Because this this is a, this is not a national problem. This is an international problem. Right, right. And we have to address it as such. And it's really kind of sad that some fans are, if excuse me for saying, selfish that they're saying we got to have baseball. It's like you got to have the health of the players in your minds, and and the people that work the stadiums and the people that are in the front office and everybody else when we're talking about a major health situation like this. Well, I think that that comes with. Uh, we got that age, that attitude in this country to a certain degree of I'm entitled to see baseball. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, you know, I, I I think back to the days when I was a kid, and then and my my father and my uncles would impress upon me what the Second World War meant to this country, and it meant that everyone was involved. It wasn't just the white people or the black people, you know, or the rich people or the poor people. Everyone was, you know. What we call signing up and going over there. You're going over there and fight for your country, you know. And uh, I, I think that somehow we've gotten too provincial and well, this will never hit my community. Yeah. And and like those same people who say, well, why can't they have the ball games? Well, maybe your neighbor, one of your neighbors, or one of your neighbor's friends works at the ball club. And now, what if they contact this tremendous virus? And now it conceivably can be spread throughout your entire community only because you wanted to see a baseball game. Wow. And I think we have to be a little more aware of about what's going on. I want to give you a little bit of a chance to reminisce, as you would normally go, like, way over time with our friend Roger Neal. Right. But, right. uh, of course, it always gets brought up. You're known as the pitcher that gave up a home run 715 to Hank Aaron, breaking uh, Babe Ruth's career home run record. Also, the your career as television and radio sports broadcaster with the Dodgers, CBS Radio, Atlanta Braves. But if you were to pick just a, maybe a couple highlights – what are your shining moments that you sit back in the chair and just when you know when you when you need a smile you sit back and go? <sighs> what what is it you think of that gives you that smile? Well, I think it's the first their first year I left Binghamton and came was it was 1961 the middle of the 61 season I came to New York I was totally unexpected because I'd only been playing three months and the uh, next thing I know I'm on a ball club where you have two players Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle who are on the verge of trying to uh, break uh, Babe Ruth's single-season home run record. I mean, as a young kid, you know, just turned 20 years of age, I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, I have these. I have their baseball cards. Let me, when I go home, I'm going to check their baseball cards. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so, I mean, that's like, wow, you know. So, but but the next thing you know, it's September, and uh, they kept me up there the rest of the year, and I'm on the, I'm on the World Series roster. And I'm sitting in the in the bullpen. That is something beyond anyone's wildest dreams. I mean, you can write up a story and say, "Okay, after four years in the minor leagues, you no, know, he came up to the major leagues." But not after three months, and you're at the major leagues, and and you're watching all these tremendous major league ball players play baseball, many of whom were on your own team. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that can say. 
wow, I can't believe I was on the same team as Al Downing, or I stood in the stands and, and watched Al Downing. So you're, you're quite the inspiration yourself, my friend. <laughs> well, that's what I, I, I really enjoy that when they come up to me and say, you know, I was one of the kids, you know, I was in the bleachers, I was over there, and we sat in those grandstands, and we pounded the grandstands when the triplets came up. We remember you guys. And that's the, the kind of community uh, support you get when you have the local baseball uh, teams like you have now. You have the Rumble Ponies up there, which is a tremendous ball club. Oh, keeping and our so fingers crossed about that, too, of course. Exactly, yeah. and, and because people don't realize that's the breeding ground for the kids going to the major leagues. But not only going to the major leagues, it's a tremendous uh, way that you establish rapport of people from all over the country, from all over the walks of life, to go on now after baseball and and. You know, take your place in society, and, and I know it helped me tremendously. Well, we are out of time, and I want to say we definitely appreciate your support over the years and your continued support with the charities coming back to Binghamton and helping to support our community and the Jim Mudcat Grant All-Star Golf Tournament that is set for Thursday, September 3rd at the links at Hiawatha Landings. It's quite a different year this year with limited people that can participate, but they're still supporting our charities of Broome County Urban League, the Boys and Girls Club of Binghamton Catholic Charities, Community Hunger Outreach Warehouse, and Veterans Programs. And uh, once again, people that want to help out and maybe take out advertising in the tournament program, sponsor a hall or a fairway sign, you can get the information at allstar, that's one word, allstar-golf.com. Thank you for being my guest and taking time out and talking to me this morning. It's been quite the education. Well, thank you, Kathy. I appreciate you taking the time to call me and uh, thinking of me and let the people of Binghamton know that you're still deep in my heart. I really appreciate everything you meant to me and uh, the opportunity for me to come back there year after year and and see those smiling faces and young kids asking questions because it's always nice when the youngsters put their hands up and say, what was this like? You know, just like you asked me a question. Because you know there's a person who's thinking, how do I get to that position? That's what we're here. That's inspiration. Thank you very much. This has been the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of the station. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. I'm Kathy White for the Southern Tier Close-Up. The electromagnetic device.